Amen. Welcome to church. Amen. It's good to see everybody. I hope you have your Bibles. You can turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, praise team. And thank you for being here this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Read the scripture together, pray together, and we'll get right to it. The scripture says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see, the things that we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. We'll repeat that one one more time. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme, over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Lord God, thank you for your word, for your revealed truth to teach us what is right and wrong, to teach us what is true. God, to teach us who we are, who we are not, and why we need you. God, we are grateful, Lord, that you are involved with us. We thank you, Father, today for your spirit that guides us into all truth, that has prompted us to get up and be here, that has prompted us to be before your word today, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would speak into our life, the very life that you have given us. And, Lord, change our perspective. Give us a greater perspective. Help us, Lord, to be more like you and to reflect your glory here on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Our new sermon series for the summer is called This is the Life. This is the Life is an expression of absolute contentment. This is the Life is an expression of desired result. Hopefully, you will find yourself at some point this summer by the beach or up in the mountains. And maybe you would rather be surrounded by city lights and crowds of people, or your preference is to be by the sunset with peace and quiet. And you finally will get that moment that you've been looking for where you will rest and relax and you will say something cheesy like this. Ah, this is the life. Now, nobody says that, right? That's too cheesy to say out loud. You look at social media and see if you've not already seen people post quotes just like that that say things like, no better day than a day at the mountains. No better day than being at the beach. A bad day at the beach is better than a good day at work, right? All of those things that people say, the cliche things. These are phrases of places and moments that we consider ideal. Now, I want you to know on the front end that this is not a sermon against vacation. I hope that everybody gets to take a vacation this summer. This is not a sermon against vacation. This is a sermon for purpose. As there is no off-the-clock Christianity. Are you hearing me? It does seem like we live for these things, though, doesn't it? 
Sometimes it seems like we often live for the ideal moments of life, that we are looking ahead to being off because we always feel like we are being on. And we desire the feeling, even if it's momentary, we desire the feeling of absolute contentment, desired result, ideal situation as we determine it to be. But life is more than moments. And our life and the story of our life has an author. Meaning that life is not determined by each one's individual feeling. Life is not determined according to our discovery or our conclusion. Life, very simply and very seriously this morning, from 8 to 80, hear this. Life is determined by our Creator. And as we read through that passage of Colossians chapter 1, I would encourage you as the Spirit of God is guiding you to supplement that with a question of what is repeated. What is repeated through the scripture that we just read? And the answer to that are the words all and everything and anything. Anything, everything, and all. Verse 15, supreme over all creation. 16, through Jesus, God created everything. Everything was created through him and for him. 17, he existed before anything else. He holds all of creation together. 17, he is supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. 20, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. Verse 20, he made peace with everything through Jesus. Jesus is over all, before anything, first in everything. He is supreme. That is the idea of the passage that we just read. How does that apply to my life? I think you get it. He is above. He is over. He is first. He presides over Everything goes back to him. As Daniel just said, we look at the scripture, the scripture that all points to the gospel, the gospel points to Jesus. This was written by Paul against the context in Colossians of human philosophy. We also live in that same cultural context where every day you wake up and open the screens and there is a human philosophy that is before People that have been created by God, not that have been born in and of themselves. And this is the context that Paul writes in. Philosophy is the study of fundamental nature of knowledge. Philosophy is the study of reality and existence. And here in Coloss, human reasoning has become the highest form of knowledge. Human reasoning, to go along with adversarial influence from the enemy... These things are working to steal the story of man away from the one true God and the church that represents his glory. This is why he says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, don't listen to this church. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. You're going to tell me that the Bible's not relevant for today's time. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that come from where? From human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now, next week is the best week ever. Next week is vacation Bible school. And in many ways, the smartest people on this campus will be the smallest people on this campus. 
And the reason I say that is because when we say God created everything, that will make complete sense to them. Are you with me? Even last week, while Brittany and I were teaching the four-year-olds in childcare, Brittany and I taught that the truth of the Scripture, that only God has the power to do miracles. And then we followed that with the teaching of Scripture that Jesus performed miracles above spiritual nature, above physical nature. So four-year-olds, if only God can do miracles and Jesus perform miracles, then Jesus is who? And the whole class at the same time said what? God. Now they get it. Sometimes the smallest people are the smartest people. But as people get older in our nature, and we get older away from our innocence, somehow we become smarter than everybody else. Somehow we become smarter than God. We tell God what we need instead of trusting him for what he has said, and somehow we become too intelligent for plain truth. Now, I like smart people, and I surround myself with smart people because I don't consider myself to be one of those. But it's a dangerous game to surround yourself with people who think they're smarter than God. Let me tell you something about this word right here. This word of God was here before all of us, is here now while all of us are here, and it'll be here long after we're gone, y'all. And the flowers fade, but the truth of God stands forever. So I'm going to bet on this. I'm going to seek God where he can be found in the revealed truth of Scripture and through the Son, Jesus Christ. And the plain truth found in Colossians 1 is that God created everything through Jesus and for Jesus. And according to the Bible, as God, there is nothing that is coming to being, nothing that is coming to being apart from Christ. And to think that you do not fit into this category, well, that's for you. I was created a different way. That is extreme arrogance. To think that you somehow do not fit into the category that God has created, which is created life. Well, I thought this was going to be about life. Your sermon series says, this is the life. I thought this was going to be about my life. Listen, you don't have life if not for God. You don't get here if not for God. So it begins with him. Everything seen, everything unseen receives life from Jesus. You are the effect of the original cause that is Jesus. Jesus is supreme. He is exalted above the universe. He is exalted above the earth. He is exalted above the church. Jesus is exalted above everyone ever. Plain and simple. In John chapter 1 verse 3 says, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. So sometimes in our life, we feel like our life is not this is the life category. It is not ideal. There is all kinds of frustration in our life. It very well could be a simple solution and takeaway that you need to leave with today is the very fact that God is to be at the top. If God is anywhere else than at the top, you will see things and feel things completely differently. It could be that your life is out of order because God is third, fourth, fifth on the chart until we need him and then we'll bump him back up until we don't need him anymore and we'll bump him back down and wonder why we've gotten in the same situation again. Wonder why we feel the same way that we feel again that we felt before. It's a very plain truth that Jesus is supreme. And when he's not supreme, then life is out of order. 
Our life comes from Christ. He is the foundation of the answer to how you are here. Jesus is the foundation of the answer to why you are here. You and I were created for the same reason that there's stars in the sky, that there's sunsets in the sky, to reflect the glory of God. That is why we are here, to point towards Jesus and all of his supremacy. And now your version of Scripture may say that he is the firstborn of creation. And what that simply means is that we are to think of him in everything. Every part of our life that we experience in relation to Jesus, all parts of what we experience are akin to Jesus according to Scripture. This means that how we rear our children has to be thought of in relationship to Jesus. It means how we spend our time and our resources has to be thought of as it relates to Jesus. How we spend downtime, work time, how we treat others, how we see cultural issues, how we treat folks that don't line up with the truth of God's Word. That's all according to the Word of God and how it relates to Jesus. All things must be viewed and how they relate to Jesus. Is this not the teaching of Colossians chapter 1? That the word everything, anything, all, he is above it. It's a very elementary lesson. And if we all got it, we can just close the book up and go on home and say, we've already got that down. But we all know that's one of the most difficult things because it goes against our very nature. When you open up a board game... And this set is not for this illustration. As you can tell, this set is geared towards best week ever. But when you open up a board game that is unknown, and you look at all the pieces inside of that board game that make up the game itself, it's only when you read the creator's instructions that you understand the purpose of each piece. And each piece has a purpose according to the creator. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, what do you think is the world's most popular board game? Come on, interaction. Monopoly. Wow, okay, overwhelming. How many of you, let's just say, show of hands this morning, how many of you have played the board game Monopoly? Okay. How many of you have played checkers? Okay. How many of you have played chess the right way? <laughs> Sometimes my view of things is so funny. I said, how many of you play chess? Hands go up. It's like, it's like a prideful moment. You dead blame right I have. Smartest guy in the room. You played it the right way? I don't know if I played the right way or not. <laughs> Your hands just ser seriously started going down. Well, the, the first response was good. Monopoly, created in 1935, is the world's most popular board game. It's been played by more than 500 million people worldwide. And congratulations, you are part of those statistics. What's the goal of Monopoly? Think about this. As you open it up, you see all of the pieces. This is the world's most popular game. What's the what is the goal of this board game that we've all played? To dominate industry. The goal is to control property. It is to maximize profit. The goal is to drive your family members into bankruptcy at Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> Just completely ruin their evening. To cause them to forget that there was family fun at these gatherings. <laughs> See, that's where the illustration 
of a board game and the pieces that are part of the board game and the purposes for all those pieces, they begin to fall short of sufficient within the connection to the Scripture because every board game we play is bent towards our nature for self-preservation. It is bent towards our nature to self-pleasure because who wants to play a game that's just about pleasing the creator of it, right? But by the truth, we are not lifeless pieces in a game. By the truth, we are lively parts of human history. Specifically, Colossians 1 teaches that Jesus is king over everything now. He is king over everything then. He is king over everything and everyone forever. And if that is the truth, then we are either loyalists who live in the light or we are separatists who live in our selfish pleasure. So Colossians chapter 1, if you look there and you look back before our passage today, look at chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, the last half of verse 12 says, He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This was written out of a prayer for the Colossian church. Paul was praying for them. And he was praying for them in part to be thankful to God. Life is created for God's glory. Life is redeemed for our good. All who turn from sin and turn to God by faith in Jesus, they have been rescued. Listen to this. You have been rescued from one kingdom of darkness and translated into another kingdom of light in God's Son. Now again, read this together. Verse 12 says, He has enabled you to share. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. That's one reason right there that God's people shouldn't be too proud. We don't have anything that we work for. It's something that God has given us. The inheritance of heaven that we have is not because we're good folks. It's because we're bad folks who know where to go to get good. Are you hearing me? Only God is good, and God made the way for our salvation that we receive by faith. Now, church, please hear my heart today. If the sum total of your Christianity is your desire and decision for a heavenly inheritance, you may be receiving the benefits without ever fully understanding the total of the wage. Is the sum total of your desire is the desire of your Christian heart, is the object of your faith, the inheritance of your faith, or the king of your faith? Is all that you know of your Christianity is that I'm going to heaven when I die? Is that the sum total of your faith's existence is the inheritance level? Like you may be mindful of the kingdom, but you've forgotten the king. Surely this is not the result of real salvation, church. Surely it's not the result of real salvation where you are thankful for heaven but ignorant of an eternal God who gave it to you. At the very least, it is ungratefulness 
The only reason we could claim a right relationship with God that results in peace with God and eternal life is because, according to Colossians 1.20, through Jesus, we have been brought into a place of right standing. My spiritual life, my spiritual life began when I was 11 years old. At 11 years old, I got saved. I reached the end of myself quickly when I realized that I would not stand right before a holy God. I heard the guy preaching the gospel stand before our church. The Spirit of God met up with the Word of God, worked in my heart. I went home to my parents. And I knew that if I died right then and there, I would die apart from God in my sin because that's exactly who I was. I was a sinner separate from God. And I was convinced when I heard the good news I was convinced that Jesus is the way to God and Jesus is my guarantee of heaven. My desire of eternal life definitely led and played a part into my receiving of salvation through Jesus. But y'all listen to me. That is where my salvation began. That's where it began. By thinking of eternal life. My salvation began with my guarantee of heaven. If you are only thinking of the inheritance that you have according to the faith that you have, you still got a grade school faith. It's still an elementary level. And that's okay. That's okay if you just started. If you've been a Christian for 30 years and all you know is you're going to go to heaven when you die, it's time to grow up. God gave us this word for a reason. He gave us the church for a reason. It's not to usher baby Christians on in to eternal life. It's to train us up in the way that we should go so that we will make disciples who reach more folks, who make disciples who reach more folks, because God needs to get all the glory we can give him before we go on in. Now, goodness, let me find my notes. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 16 says, Everything was created through him and for him. If you leave with a scripture to memorize this week, everything was created through him and for him. We must measure our spiritual life against this today. Is everything for him? Now listen to me. That sounds like big words and a lofty goal, and it absolutely is because there's no inheritance without him. But to think and entertain that question, is everything, all of my anything for him? Let me ask you this. Is that not what the Holy Spirit is bringing up in your life every day anyway? Seriously. Is God's Spirit ever going, yeah, he did all right today. We'll see about tomorrow. No. Because God is holy. Perfectly perfect. And so when the scripture says that everything was created through him and for him, that's the reason why the Spirit of God is never wavering according to the standard and why he is constantly trying to raise you up from where you are to where we need to be. It would do our lives good today fully understand that our inheritance in the kingdom of God is only because, listen to this, of the rescue mission of Jesus. Our situation apart from Jesus, is a hostage situation. You understand that, right? Again, what does the scripture say? He has enabled you to share in the inheritance, to share in heaven, in the, God's glory that belongs to his people who live in the light. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. 
Outside of living in faith in Jesus, we are hostages to sin. That's one of the reasons why you could be here this Sunday and not want to come back next because you're still a hostage to sin. It's because we are still in chains over the things that we struggle with. We are hostages to our selfish nature. And according to Colossians chapter 1, we are held captive in a spiritual kingdom of darkness far away from God according to our evil thoughts and actions that put us there. We're in another realm if we are in sin and living in sin. And we're in prison as Galatians 3.22 says, we are all prisoners to sin. What does it mean to be living in the kingdom of darkness? What does that look like? If I gave you a discussion question, what does it mean to be living in the kingdom of darkness? You would think about the old life that used to be and the characteristics that filled up that life. It's to be in a realm where God is not the authority, but Satan is. And you are deceived into thinking that you are. It's meant to be an environment that is dark. The kingdom of, of, kingdom of darkness is one that is away from light. It is away from revealed truth. It is one that is away from the truth of what is right, what is real, and what is wrong. Just the other night, my daughter was playing outside with our neighbor's children. And Noel had come inside the house, shut the door behind her. It was the evening. It was the dark of night. And then our, our neighbor's kids, the two girls, were still out there jumping on the trampoline. And Noel was planning to go back out. But before we knew it, the rest of us were sitting there on the couch in the living room. Before we knew it, the door opens. Bam! And it shuts back. Bam! And they run in. They're like, we saw something outside. We saw something outside. We heard something outside. We don't know what it is. <laughs> of course, the neighbor's looking at me like, I'm going to go get it. Well, all right, let's go get it. <laughs> You know? So, I mean, no, parents, we don't want to go out there either, do we? <laughs> Some of y'all might. What is it? Let me answer it. So, seriously, they, they ran in, and this is the things that they said. We don't know if it was a man's voice. We don't know if it was an animal's voice. We don't know if it was near or far. We don't know if it will hurt us or not. We're in the dark. We don't know what is real or what is true. Much of the world lives in the darkness. We are the light of the world. Live in the world. Light it up and don't fall in love with it. This is God's call to people who are in the kingdom of light because we know what it's like to be lost in the kingdom of darkness. And God has delivered us from there and transferred us into the kingdom of light. If we are living in a world apart from God, if we are living in a realm of sin apart from God and God's authority, apart from a relationship with Jesus, we are in a desperate situation. In truth, it is a hostage situation because we are prisoners of sin, self, and the world, the world that Satan is presiding over, but is deceiving you to think that you have authority in. And one may say to yourself, as you hear the message this morning, man, if I'm in the kingdom of darkness, it don't feel that bad. It doesn't feel like we're in a place of desperation where it's a hostage situation where he needs to come and get us. Let me tell you something. I remember hearing older folks growing up that used to say things like this. We didn't know we were poor. 
You ever heard anybody say that? We didn't know we were poor. What does that mean? It means you can be in an unfortunate situation and not know it if enough people around you are in the same situation. We must not be deceived into thinking that our life is our own. That we get to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong and what is permissible. And I would argue that the reason we get all over these conversations is because we have lost sight of the fact that God has already said it in his word. Uh, we're doing just fine as our life is pretty good without God. Let me tell you what the scripture says about that. If you are in the kingdom of darkness, sin cuts us off from God. And it leaves us in a kingdom of darkness even if we are in a culture of Christianity. You can live in the Bible Belt and still be lost. You can live in the Bible Belt culture where there's a church on every corner and still be a dark distance from the presence of God, the power of God, the truth of God, the comfort of God, and the peace of God. You are this close to the gospel and forever far away from the truth. But the good news is that God already came to get us. The good news is that Jesus has carried out the rescue mission. His rescue mission is complete as he has done the work of freedom for you. He has done the work to deliver us from the darkness of isolation, of insecurity, of guilt, of wandering and shame by his death on a cross for sin. Corey Ten Boom said that only those who have been in prison does freedom have such great meaning. I don't find that devoted followers of Christ, listen to this, I don't find that devoted followers of Christ have an indifferent attitude towards sin. They don't want to go back to prison. Are you hearing me? They think about the sin that they used to be chained by and they have turned from that and going now in the direction of the standard of God. They know the life of freedom that they have now Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the power of sin. So when you bring it up casually, it kind of hits them different because they don't want to go back there and they don't want you to go there either. Christian, find that again. Christian, as sensitive as you were to sin when you first got saved, find that again. Adult folks that have been Christians for a long time, Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, sensitivity to sin that drags you down and separates you, and even in fellowship, find that again and pray this afternoon. Pray today before we leave. Pray in the morning that God give you the appropriate attitude of, towards sin because the Bible says that sin cuts you off from God. That if you are in the kingdom of darkness, you are there because of your sin that placed you there and enchains you there. And if you have now been translated to the kingdom of light, you are there because Jesus paid the price for the forgiveness and the freedom of sin. Don't go back when he's carried you over. He's freed us, the Bible says. What does that mean when it says the truth? Again, the Bible says that he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. We've all entered the transfer portal. <laughs> I've been wanting to use that all week. <laughs> that, shows, that shows how cheesy my jokes are. 
But we've not entered that portal according to ourselves and our power. You cannot do it. You cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot free yourselves from the penalty of sin. That's the work of Jesus. Some of you are here this morning thinking to yourself, I'm here because I want to go to heaven when I die and church must count. Wrong. Wrong. You can have perfect attendance at church and be imperfect in your heart. All of those things are good if they are done because of your devotion or if you are here seeking the truth. And the truth is, is that Jesus has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He rescued us. He transferred us. Another version of that says that he translated us, which both gives us the idea that he carried us away into the kingdom of light. He does the work. This means we cannot work our way out of prison. The work of rescue is done by the Lord. It also means that we are not to wander aimlessly back towards the kingdom of darkness that he has just carried us away from. Teenagers, teenagers, every teenager in this place, look at me today. If you call upon the name of the Lord for salvation in your life, God has not forgiven you and freed you up to go back into a culture that will drag you down in sin. That's the truth that you're getting during the midweek. That's the truth that you get on Sunday morning. I don't know how relevant I can be other than that. God has forgiven you of sin and the penalty of sin, and he's freed you from the power of it. Why would God free you from the power of sin, give you an inheritance of heaven for you to aimlessly wander back into the world that drug you down in the first place? Come on now. Listen to the beautiful words of Revelation 1.5. Jesus is the faithful witness to these things, which means the realization of the future. Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. He is the ruler of all the kings of the world. And all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Why do we keep talking about the blood of Jesus? Why do we keep talking about the cross? Because God saves through the system of sacrifice. Are you interested in being saved? Are you interested in your own salvation? If you are, then you'll never get tired of hearing the cross of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus that restores one to God by presenting sacrifice to God on our behalf to satisfy his justice and truth against sin. Jesus is supreme over life. Life is created for God's glory, and all his glory is for our good. For those who have turned from sin and turned to God by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we now live in the kingdom of God, and are our people who live in the light. How does that work? Let me read you one scripture. I want to read you actually two scriptures, and then we'll be done. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. If you're here today and you think, that's what I want. I want freedom from sin. I want new life. I want a life that's filled with purpose. That's what I want in my life. The Bible says the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith faith, confiding trust, convincing belief that a righteous person has life. Now, take my phone out because I made a note on my phone yesterday that I want to make sure I read to you. 
Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to leave this with you. We just talked about in Colossians chapter 1 how he has given us the inheritance of heaven. He has transferred us into the light. He purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. It was a hostage situation, and Jesus rescued us. And then you go to Colossians chapter 1, and you get to verse 21. And the scripture says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Can I ask you a question that's just blown my mind that I'd like to leave you with today? What kind of rescue mission sets out to rescue an enemy? <sighs> Did y'all hear that? What kind of rescue mission sets out to rescue an enemy? God made a way for we who are separate from him in our choosing of sin, in our evil thoughts and our actions, we have placed ourselves against the holiness of God, made ourselves enemies of God. Who sets out on a rescue mission to take care of, to comfort, to reveal truth to, to forgive, and to set free enemies who may or may not believe in him? That is why he's at the top. That is why he is supreme and that is why everything must be thought of and done through him and for him. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, as we are getting ready now to respond, I pray, Father, that the truth of your word would not be left here in the pews. But, Father, we would receive your word into our heart, God, into our life. And may we lean into the Holy Spirit. God, that we would forever follow you into eternal life, thankful for the kingdom, but honoring the king. God, we thank you, Father, for the truth that you have rescued us, you have purchased us by the blood of your son. Lord, we are grateful to know today, Lord, that we have purpose. So God, would you give us a reignited passion for that purpose. Grow us up, Lord. Take us from where we are to where we need to be. Lord, for however long we've been a Christian, God, that we would push forward, Father, in the growth that you are bringing to mind and heart. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that may be apart from you, Father. They've come to their own realization that it's their point in time where in mind and heart they know they are separate from you and they need a right relationship with you. I pray today, God, as we open up this altar, that they would move in faith, that they would ask questions of those who would give them biblical answers. Lord, more than anything, that we would respond to you in prayer and a heart and attitude of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to close out the service worshiping God, now fully knowing, amen, of who he is according to the scripture. But I would invite you today, you may be thinking, I need to join the church, I need to be baptized, I need to take next steps of my faith. And listen, it may be today that you are thinking to yourself, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. I hear you clearly. I know what's going on in my heart and mind. I know I need to be right with God. 
Listen, we never make fun of you. We've never embarrassed you for anything in the world. If you'd walk this aisle and tell us five words, I need to be saved, we can help you from there. You may think to yourself, I'm not going to do that, but I appreciate the invitation. Then why not fill out a card and place it in the box? Why not call us this week? Let us know how we can help you. Amen? This altar is open. We have decision counselors here for you. We'd love to pray with you and help you in the next few moments. Let's worship God together.